Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Hey everybody, Happy New Year, and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 53, the first one of 2019. So, we've had a bit of a break over Christmas, and uh, during that time, we've all consumed a lot of media, a lot of food, a lot of drink, Uh, (laughs) and now we're back, and um, joined today by my usual co-hosts, Leon. Hello. And Rahul. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year all. So, um, I guess the biggest things for us over the Christmas period, um, Smash Bros. Hell yeah. Loads yeah. of Smash Bros. Um, Bandersnatch, which is the new Black Mirror thing. Yeah, I dived into that. Yeah, and Bird Box. We all had to dive into that. Yeah, we had to because yeah, <laughs> we had no choice. Yeah, um, I, I say it's a, it was one of the biggest things. It was probably the biggest disappointment. But I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, what I wanted to do as well, actually, was just to um, open this show by saying it's 2019, and uh, as we go through the year, it would be really nice to have you guys send us some questions. Um, and by questions we mean send us your silly scenarios, give us suggestions for things to talk about. I mean, we want we want to give you content that you want to listen to, right? So you have some control over that. So just get in touch with us and let us know what you want to hear. Um, give us like silly scenarios to to discuss um, and things like that, and, and we will happily do that for you. So I guess we'll just open up by talking about the fact that we all played an awful lot of Smash Bros. And uh, I managed to get the true ending on the World of Light mode, which is kind of like some weird RPG mode that they shoved into the new Smash Bros. game. I'm quite proud of the fact that I managed to do that because a lot of <laughs> everyone else has been like, no, this is too much. It's too it's too repetitive. It's too... But no, I carried on, busted my skull against that brick wall. And I did it. I got to the end. I got the true ending. <laughs> uh, well, I'm proud of it. And at the same time, I'm not proud of it. But, yeah. No, it sounded like a Herculean <laughs> effort as you were checking in with us and telling us that, oh, I think I'm at the end. Nope, I'm not <laughs> yeah. at the end. That was the, the first weeks time. later. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the end. It's not finished. It's finished. No, yeah, the first time I, I thought I'd finished it, I beat what I had perceived to be the last boss, which is like the big, kind of like ball of light surrounded by weird colourful feathers on the map and I beat that thing and then I had to beat more things because it, 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 by beating that I just opened a hole into another whole other dimension or whatever and then I got sent to some other dimension and then I had to do certain things to get the true ending and there is a point I was going to mention to you guys which I thought was really cool because you actually get to play as Master Hand okay yeah for like part, like right at the end, like right before the final, final last boss, you get to play as Master Hand, which was kind of fun. Spoilers. Yeah, but <laughs> but it, I mean was that's it, some yeah. Was it worth it? Like, what did you get out of all of this, Greg? Um, you just unlock like loads of 
like different stage songs. No, I, I mean, I mean, on a personal level, what did you get out of it? <laughs> um, I got the satisfaction <laughs> of knowing. Did you though? Because like you keep complaining about how much time you spent on it. <laughs> did you actually enjoy it? Was the whole process? Yes, yeah, I enjoyed? I enjoyed it. Yeah, the only the only thing that I I got really annoyed about was the fact that I thought I'd finished it when I hadn't. <laughs> mm. And that annoyed me because of the amount of time and effort that I'd spent on it. And by that point, I was just like, okay, it's just trudge through the rest of it kind of thing. But I got, it kind of satisfies me to know that I've got like an almost 100% thing on that, that part of the game. I don't know why I've just, that, that bit satisfies me. And I I did enjoy, I did enjoy some of the mechanics in it and everything else, but I didn't like, I, I, just I don't know whether this is like some something just like for me, but I didn't feel like I'd be able to get on with the rest of the game or enjoy the rest of the game fully until I'd done this. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> That's fair enough. It's like if I don't do it, it's just going to be hanging over me for the rest of forever. So I just wanted to do it. But then, obviously, you know the the real the real reason we bought Smash, the true spirit of Smash Bros, true spirit of Smashmas, was the fact that we all get to play together um online and um have fun and that's what we did um on friday wasn't it which uh, two days before we're recording this podcast but uh friday evening we had kind of like a a big online kind of get together with a few of us playing smash yeah we managed to um align our schedules so that we'd uh, the bulk of us would be on at the same time yes yeah that was was good fun that was good fun yeah Uh, as smash bros always is and we, you and I, Greg, we got to have a couple of 1v1s over the Christmas period as well, like very yeah. shortly after, I think it was Boxing Day we were playing together. Yeah. And then we played about a good 13 to 15 matches before I got too pissed off and said I've had enough because you've been beating <laughs> me. And then just took a break and then played some Axiom Verge instead. Yes, yes, Axiom Verge, which brings me on to my next point. Um, that is the game that, uh, well, is another game for the Nintendo Switch that you told me to buy that I've been playing, which I'm really enjoying. It's kind of like this... H.R. Geiger meets Metroid vibe about it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely. And I am really enjoying it because I like my Metroidvania games anyway. And we were we were having like a discussion about like Metroidvania style games and things. And that sort of spurred me on to spend the, I think it cost me like seven quid in the end. Yeah, it was seven pound yeah. over the Christmas sale, which it should still be at the time that this podcast goes out. I'm not hundred yeah. percent, but I, I went on the the online uh, Nintendo online store and purchased it and downloaded it for the Switch, and not regretting it at all. It's a really good platformer. If you like things like Metroid and Castlevania, specifically Metroid more than Castlevania, I think, then uh, it's the kind of thing that you will enjoy. Um, and it has this really sort of like creepy hellscape vibe about it it's um it kind of reminds me of prey the the first prey game for the xbox 360 in ways in in the way that when uh the main character gets transported to the weird alien craft or world um it feels like that like some weird fusion of hell and space mm. in a way that's in a way that's different from the way doom does it but it just it just has that kind of feel feel about it. This like extra dimensional kind of like I I I mean I I get the feeling that this is some sort of weird afterlife thing, and I like that. 
but we'll see where yeah. the game takes me as I go through the story. I mean, I really enjoy it. It's cool. I've not um, got that far into. I think I'm a little bit further than you, but I've not you finished are. it yet. Yeah. Um, but I think because I'm not, I'm kind of glossing over the story and whatever. Like I like the setting, but it's kind of ancillary to the gameplay for me. Because what I really like about it is it takes the best things of the things that I ri- really like about Metroidvanias, which is like mm. the the exploration and like the noticing little things that once you get used to how the game like is structured or how like the maps are structured you start noticing these little bits which look just a little bit out of place yeah and the map uh, the map in game allows you to make little notes or like just to yeah. highlight little blocks where you spotted something that maybe when you get a another weapon later down the line you'll yeah. be able to gain access to it and there's all these little hidden secrets and if you're paying enough attention you'll notice like you can be it makes you feel really satisfied that you've yeah. picked up like you've learned the environment so well that you spot those those moments of disruption um, and then you, you you know later on you can come back to it and find all these cool little gadgets and stuff and like this you every time you unlock a power-up or a weapon it gets added to your inventory and you realize there's like a slot of about 60 in like items and weapons and i've played for like a good 10 hours i think now and i've only unlocked i guess a quarter of them so i'm wondering how much more there is to mm. go and like how it expands on the existing tropes of metroidvania so like in metroid you do the thing where you can turn into a little ball and roll around these narrow corridors and it has an interesting twist on that mechanic without you know so having the same sort of gameplay but not quite the same as metroid um which i don't want to reveal but anything but it is yeah yeah it's it's really fun and it's quite satisfying it's really cool i haven't quite played quite as long as you've played but um and i haven't i hadn't actually discovered that that little map trick that you've just told me there so what I've been doing is getting a new power up and then running around the map going, ah, can I drill it? Can I drill it? Can I, can I, can I unscramble it? Can I drill it? And yeah. just like going over the whole map again and just like attacking all the walls, which is what I do in Metaroid. So I think that's fair. I think that's, it's sort of compels you to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, and I do like how it gates you off in very smart ways. Like it yeah. sort of traps you in certain room, which is, again, it's a trope of that, yeah. that genre, but it does it in ways that aren't, very frustrating apart from on a couple of occasions where i feel like i'm the one at fault for not figuring out how to get out of a room but it's just not telegraphing that effectively what you should be doing but those are like those are you know one in a a hundred sort of instances where it's just not explaining it the right way for me personally maybe Mm. um for the most part it's really good at telegraphing where you need to go and how to do it or at least guiding you sort of invisibly into the right direction Mm. it's very cool good at that the one thing i'll say about the plot is like there seems to be a lot of environmental and background storyline going on but i i really don't like the main character he's really bland and boring we don't really get a sense of what he's doing and why and he sort of just goes along with the plot it's really weird it's not not nearly as engaging as like samus or any of the castlevania characters i think no but eh, minor it's not really what i'm playing for exactly it's a fun platformer it's a good Metroidvania game, and it, it scratches that itch. Mm. So, I mean, on top of that, there was a couple of Netflix releases that I think we all took in as well. Um, most important of the two, Bandersnatch, which is the latest kind of Black Mirror offering. And it is a choose-your-own-adventure game, but a TV show. So it's it's kind of like a choose-your-own... Um, and it is... It's, uh, more like a feature. I don't know if it's. Can you call it a feature film rather than an episode of TV? I'd say. I mean, like like yeah. the other Black Mirror episodes, where it's they they range from like one hour to an hour and a half. It's sort of 
in that weird space between being a, a long episode or a feature length movie. Yeah. And I say if you play if you play this this film, quote unquote, one way, you know, in one sitting for one path, one ending, then yeah, I'd say it's I'd say it's a movie because I think it's like ninety minutes for the yeah for the default option mm. ending. I think it showed me about four or five different endings in one sitting actually mm-hmm. i get the feeling but i never quite knew where i was with it when i was playing it because i was just sat there kind of taking it in just making choices and then like i would get to a point and it would rewind and make me do another choice again and sh- and show mm-hmm. me how a different path turned out um which is kind of cool i really i really did enjoy it and i I quite like this. I mean, I I like this choose your own adventure thing anyway. Um, I I quite enjoy that whole thing that the whole thing as a premise, and I like the way that they've adapted it to the film medium hmm. and given us this. Um, the, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> well, we're in the future now. It's like yeah. the, it's it's what the the CDRs were attempting to do back in the 90s, but yeah. like with a a different level or like a much higher level of quality and, and talent production. and yeah. production and like just the hardware enables it yeah. and the fact that you can, you know, you're streaming it and it's available to everyone. You don't have to go out and yeah. buy any specific hardware to and let it function. It's, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to steer away from saying anything at all about the plot, about anything to do with it other than the fact that it's choose your own adventure and it's really cool and it's a it's a really nice um it's a really nice way to spend a, a good hour and a half <laughs> you, i will say as, as someone who's a fan of these kind of choose your own adventure narratives in a modern setting so like with games like her story which uses live action you know um filming mm. on a very like pc unique uh, interface or war games i don't because that was another one by the same guy who did uh her story and i'm forgetting his name unfortunately right now um sam barlow that's it sam barlow um and like even that uses live action but it has a very um i don't know it has a, a unique way of interacting with the with the plot and with those those live action snippets this is a very like traditional choose one of two branches over and over and over again it loops back and it's like has this um logic gate sort of um, design to it it's quite nice to see it harken back to these old style like choose a path things like like the old choose your own adventure game books where you know you would read a paragraph and then it would tell you which decisions you want to make turn to this page turn to that um yeah i like seeing it not necessarily have to try and reinvent a new way of engaging with it it goes back to the the old style yeah it's pretty cool yeah it's it's good I liked it. Yeah, I, I, like I really enjoyed it. Um, I played through it by myself on the day it came out, mm. and then I played through it again with um, a friend. And it is it is quite a fun uh, thing to do with like groups of people. I think um, in the same way that games like this, uh, visual novels, uh, are, are like that, or like uh, more recent games like um, uh, Detroit. Like, yeah, I guess Detroit. Um, I think of that that horror movie one, but the title hasn't come to my head for some Contradiction? reason. Contradiction. Yeah, that's another one, but uh, the one where they're in a horror house and it's a bunch of teens and you've got to save their lives. Oh, I know. Oh, the PS4 exclusive one. Yes. Um, oh God, Until Dawn. 
Yes, Until Dawn. I knew it began of a year. It was on the tip of my <laughs> tongue. But yeah, like Until Dawn, stuff like that, they, they live a different life uh, playing alone and playing with other people. And I think that's mm. really cool. I mean, as like half of games Twitter will tell you, like this isn't like a new thing uh, in terms of the idea. But what I think is novel about it is its delivery method, obviously, uh, being on Netflix and uh, highly publicized. Loads of people who would never dare touch any type of game computer or anything like that are engaging with with this stuff and uh getting getting to experience um what it's uh sort of what it's like to interact with um a story that way uh and it beyond being a gimmick and what i'd say that set uh this uh like film up, apart from even more recent efforts like uh late shift which is pretty much the same thing uh, that's a, a PC and PS4 game. It's pretty much the same thing where you get choices to do stuff, but that feels like you can feel the machinery on it, um, like mm. so clear as day. Where what I think with this, uh, Brooker Jones and the whole team um, have done really well with this is um, that the it gets really meta really early on, and uh, obviously I'm not going to go into any plot details, but the way how it handles. Um, choices that you've made and if it loops back it's really smart and it um that part sort of blew me away and um the fact that it was doing it on the netflix uh platform across multiple devices so um yeah i, I think like it's not something that should be um downplayed just because mm. uh obviously it's nothing no. new in the video game space yeah. i think that it's it's doing a lot of interesting things for its medium being a a TV show on a streaming platform and like while I don't think the uh, story gets uh, like super deep between the sort of like normal themes you get with t- these types of things I do think that it's um, it's not as as face level as as a lot of people would have you uh, think so um, yeah, yeah I think that there's a lot to lot to enjoy there and. Um, I definitely say everyone should check it out just to see what it's like, even if yeah. uh, you, you can't be bothered and you're someone who just wants to sit back and let it make choices for you. I think it's worthwhile everyone engaging with it to some degree. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the discourse on Twitter is kind of reductive in some ways. Like, it's really frustrating hearing that, the, what was it you said, where um, it's been done before. It's like, oh, it's like these old choose-your-own-adventure books. Like, you know, it's nothing unique. I think they're missing a trick on, like, overlooking the design and how it in- interacts with the like the systems that it's on like you said it's on it's on a platform that pretty much everybody has access to now you know either via your computer or via uh, your smart tv or via a console or whatever and not only like to functionally make it work on all these different sets of hardware but like designing it so that people who wouldn't necessarily be open to these kind of things are still engaging with it and getting something out of it yeah but not just um, giving them access, meaning that they'll try something they wouldn't normally try, but also making the the way that you engage with it accessible. So, like, yeah, um, the in in terms of the design and then also the writing around the design, allowing people who wouldn't normally even consider that you'd have to interact with a TV show by holding the remote in your hand and then picking between two different options, it seeds that idea in really slowly and cleverly, and like. To say that it's it's been done before, I think, is really overlooking how deft that design is. Yeah. And then also the second point is like maybe this is 
and this is contentious because some people don't want this to be the future of television. And I think that's also another argument that's like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be the be all and end all. But um, this may be laying the groundwork for more intricate choose your own adventure stories that could be, you know, delivered through this platform. Like I was talking to a friend at work about this, about how it's kind of like, to me, it feels like the Assassin's Creed 1 to Assassin's Creed 2, where it's laying the framework and there's like, you might not think that it's a fully fleshed out game, um, but it, the fundamentals are there. Like it's established that it can do this and it can do it well. And maybe in the second iteration, it'll that will be like, like the best version of it. Like they've got it, they've got the template, and now they can improve on it. And I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing what they do next. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's something that's really cool, and and I think what I wanted to. The, this, the point I wanted to make basically is it's not something to be sniffed at just because it's something that has been done before in inverted commas because it has hasn't been well it has has the premise isn't new but the way in which they're delivering it to us is which is kind of cool mm. um moving on from there there was the other thing on Netflix which I just wanted to mention briefly and just say that it's uh memes everywhere <laughs> and that's why we had to watch it i think isn't it because of the memes and that's bird box yeah it's one of those um those properties that you kind of have to get to quickly even if you don't want to just because yeah. everyone's talking about it and half yeah. of the fun of it is discovering it on your own i think yeah um and like i'm kind of i'm glad that i watched bird box because it was a it was a fine film it was yeah a little bit better than average in my opinion it wasn't doesn't definitely doesn't live up to the hype that was no, no. given by all of the social media stuff but i don't know where that really came from um i don't really understand like the mimetic yeah. you know function of how all these memes have given it to be less than the sum of all of its parts in some ways because it's just a fine movie it's a fine horror like yeah um genre concept piece yeah where i liked i liked half of it more than i liked the other half of it uh, i don't want to say too much about it but yeah. there's there's something about the the way that it was um uh not published uh the way it was advertised mm. and sold to me that part of the film didn't deliver on and i think yeah. that's the character ensemble bit which yeah. i actually really like i really like the stuff where there's all these people interacting who wouldn't normally interact in the real world but it didn't give me the vibe that i was hoping for when i yeah. first went into the film and there's a, another part of the film yeah. does give me the aesthetic and the vibe that i wanted and yeah. like they meet in the middle and overall i quite liked it if not even though i have some misgivings about the ending mm. but you know yeah, it was right. my my thoughts on it are it's okay Hmm. it's um it's what the happening would be if the happening was good <laughs> well if the happen- well, not good if the happening was a better film and um it just the best way i can describe it is a film about the rapture by someone who hates religion <laughs> that's that tracks yeah <laughs> but it's um yeah i, I did it was it was okay and uh I wasn't, I think, I think because of the hype, like everyone was saying, you know, everyone was making it out to be something that was really cool. And then I actually watched it and I was like, this, this is just a horror movie. And I got, and and as usual, I got annoyed about the fact that they don't explain the mechanics of the beast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I wanted to know, 
I wanted to know what it was, and they just kept putting Sandra Bullock's face on the screen all the time. And I was like, no, less of that, more of that, please. But no. Yeah, we will never see eye to eye on this, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it, please. Tell me about the creature. But no, no, you won't. I want to know why it is, where it came from, and and that's 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 part of the reason. I mean, I enjoy that part of it. I like I like seeing where people's imaginations take them with stuff like that, and that's that's why I enjoy knowing how how things work with creatures, beasts, ghosts in in these horror movies. I like to know more about what the people are up against, basically, because I like to know how people's imaginations work, and I like to see that represented. But that's just me. And I guess that's just Bird Box. <laughs> yeah, I'll just weigh in, echo some uh, some similar yeah. statements to you guys. I, I thought um, this was something I was aware of before because uh, Eric Kaiser, who is the screenwriter of Arrival, uh, was doing it. So I was I was eh, like, it was on my list basically. Um, and then it launched, and it's over sort of the Christmas period, and suddenly all these memes started popping up, and I was like, wow, why is everybody talking about this? And I think it's down to, like, the timing mostly, but, um, yeah, checked it out in between Christmas and New Year, and it, it's perfectly fine. It's yeah. it, it's, it's a fine thriller. Uh, thriller, it's, it's a cool concept. Um, uh, and that's it. I think it's, it's a perfectly good watch and uh i think the best thing to come from it are all the memes so uh, I, <laughs> I am i am happy for it um, yeah. i'm happy that it's given us all these memes because i'm oh. i'm always here for uh, a good meme generator i'm enjoying the say, memes I, uh, i'm enjoying the memes yeah the memes are good um i don't understand why it's as divisive as it is i think people just want to take like a, a marmite approach to it and i I, ha- I have no qualms about being in the middle and saying yeah, yeah. it's it's okay it's cool. It's not a bad film by any stretch. I think I think I'm somewhere slightly left of center with it, like slightly <laughs> off off center. It's a bit. I'm close to the middle, but I'm not in the middle like you are. Hmm. Somewhere off to one side with it, slightly, slightly, very slightly off to one side. But yeah, you, you wanted an extra hour of how exactly the monster operates and where it came from, and yeah, what narrated by David Attenborough. Did and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, if it was narrated by David Attenborough, I would watch it. I'd, I'd be in for it. <laughs> so, um, I guess now we're, we're, that brings us on to the main feature of the Ace Comical show, which is the fact that we talk about comics. And uh, I'm going to put a question to you, my co-hosts. Co-hosts, what is best in life? Uh, chocolate. Sugar. Sleep. <laughs> nah, fuck sleep. I'll tell you what is best in life. It is to okay. buy your comics, see them stacked before you physically, and talk about them with your friends. And this is because oh, that as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is and this is bec- and and uh, this is because I'm about to talk about the new Conan book that Marvel have put out. Um, now, this has like been the first, I think, um, Marvel book, uh, first Conan Marvel book in a long, long time, and it's kind of like Conan's back where it's sort of where the comic book the conan comic began it began with marvel in the 70s and now it's back uh with marvel again and they're they're sort of like making this big push and uh they've got this one which is um conan the barbarian and uh, they're going to be launching two more conan comics as well which will be the age of conan and savage sword of conan um so they're doing like they're doing this big push and they're bringing conan back which i'm all for because 
I like me some sword and sorcery and I like me a bit of fantasy. So, uh, and I like me a bit of Conan, which is really, I like the stories. They're really cool. Um, I mean, like, obviously I'm not, I don't know an awful lot about Conan comics wise. I've, I've read some Conan adjacent stuff before. I read Wonder Woman Conan and, you know, I, I know of Conan through other, other avenues and other media. Um, my experience with Conan, obviously, uh, uh, I guess with a lot of people, starts with the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger films. But yeah, I mean, like, I do I do enjoy these types of stories. I like my, my fantasy tales. I like I like my Dungeons and Dragons. I've been known to enjoy RPGs and things like that. So this is this is something I enjoy, a bit of sword and sorcery. And, um, you know, a bit of, a little bit of battle metal about it as well, which is really nice. It's, it, I mean, obviously, it's going to have that feeling because it's people swinging swords and blood spraying out and, you know, war cries and stuff like that, which is just, yeah, it's great. I love that stuff. It always puts me in a fun mood. And it was nice to sit by the campfire after the eight-hour battle that is my day job and hear tales of a great warrior. So that's the feeling I got when I opened it and read it. It was really cool. Um, so credits-wise, we have... Uh, writing by Jason Aaron, who I know from Thanos Rising, which is kind of like the uh, origin story of Thanos, um, told in a five-part comic series, which that's actually really cool. Um, it's, a, it's a nice collection if you can pick it up. It's really good. Um, Mahmoud Azra is the artist. We have a Matthew Wilson on colours, and VC's Travis Lanham, letterer, and um, Esad Ribic is the cover artist, who... Um, He's also done. He's done a lot of covers lately, actually, that I, of, of comics that I've been picking up because he did covers for Fantastic Four. He um, he was the main artist on the Image series Versus, which I think I've talked about on here before. Um, and this is uh, the Life and Death of Conan Part One: The Weird of the Crimson Witch, and it's it's a big old comic. Um, I mean, like negating adverts and everything else it's a good 37 pages of content because you've not only got a comic here but also in the back of this comic you're going to have serialized in 12 parts a new conan novella which part one is in the back of this and um that is called black starlight uh which is kind of nice you got a bit of prose at the back as well so it's, it's like a it's, yeah it's, it's it's like a i guess um it, it's i mean the distinct the difference between comic and magazine i don't know but um because people call comics magazines and uh, but this is more of a mag it's got like the magazine feel because it's got all sorts of things going on in it um yeah and it was just really cool start to finish it was really nice to read it it was some good escapism it's like a really good bit of escapism for me and it's great because it's an accessible jumping on point for a long story character like conan like for, for people that haven't or, or may not be as um familiar with conan or haven't read any conan comics before or anything like that it's 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 a way in and it's a really nice way in a really accessible way in as well um it's uh, the introduction to the book is a collage of old conan panels from old comics and um it, it, a collage of panels on art and, and it's a quote from the Nemedian, the Nemedian or Nemedian Chronicles. I'm not quite sure how to say that word, but that was um, which which kind of like overlays it all. And this quote, the Nemedian, this quote kind of like explains, kind of gives you like it's just like a, a 
an encapsulation of of what you're about to read basically this is like this what's this is what it is this is the world that you're about to dive into which is really nice now the nemedian chronicles is a fictional book of history that the guy who created conan robert e howard came up with and uses in his work when he writes his conan story or wrote his conan stories and it's yeah it was just it was just a, a fun a nice fun read um the art's really good and there's some excellent action scenes in there which you would expect um and there's some great single pages and everything has this kind of like heavy influence of old school fantasy art about it you know when you look at like old school fantasy prose novels or like maybe even video game covers for things like golden axe or uh i guess movie boxes for like you know when you look at old vhs cases for fantasy films like krull maybe or you know, like these painted fantasy scenes where it's like painted and the background's always black and red or really dark and a very it, like westernized fantasy sort of yeah. muscles and swords that, yeah yeah it looks like there's a volcano going off in the background all the time <laughs> it's like it's got that it's got a lot of that about it like the way that they've um the, the colors that they use in this in this book and, and the way they they lay the panels out sometimes as well it's like it's very much it's got that, a lot of that about it and it's really nice like the the, the backgrounds in the fight scenes they always fade from like black to red like everything's on fire and everything's a battlefield and yeah i just got really excited about it for the fact that conan was back and i quite like this kind of stuff so yeah this is my jumping on point for conan i guess i mean i've got I've got like some of the old Conan comics here and there from a while back, um, kind of digitally. So I guess I should, I guess, I, I mean, I never got round to reading them. I just have them just stacked on my computer, but I guess that now this is my, my time to read them. Um, and also knowing Jason Aaron's work from things that I've previously enjoyed, like Thanos Rising, which was really good. Um, I can I can put a stamp of approval on this and say yeah go check it out it's great, um, and also it's uh, there's another one by Jason Aaron that I wanted to mention that's now on my list which is called Scalped, um, which kind of came out came off the back of me, um, learning came off the back of me reading this and um, checking out you know Thanos like whatever things he's done beside Thanos Rising and Scalped is a it's um. It's a story that revolves around a Native American reservation, and it's like a crime thriller kind of built around that, uh, is how it sounds, and it just sounds really cool. Something else that I want to check out. But yeah, it's um, this Conan book is, is something else. It's really, it's really fun. Really fun read. Um, the writing is, is really good, and it's a really nice jumping on point, and it's just... It's just something just to kick back and just escape with. I really liked it. So, yeah, that is Conan the Barbarian uh, by Marvel Comics. And that is my first one on my list. So, yeah, where do we go from there? I think, Ray, you have one to introduce next. And this is one that we all read. All right. So we're talking about uh, Die here, which is D-I-E. It's the yeah. new comic by writer Kieran Gillen, artist Stephanie Hans, and letterer Clayton Cowles. And I believe it's an image book. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a story about a group of teenagers in the 90s, early 90s, who play a a game of D&D together. And it's sort of like 
I don't know, gothic fantasy mixed with Jumanji, because these kids sort of get transported into this D&D world, but we don't actually get to see what happened at that point. We just see them reappear after a few years, um, unable to say what happened to them. And then there's like there's two time jumps in this uh, in this story where you see them initially play the game, uh, get sucked into it, reappear two years later, and then 25 years pass, and we see the aftermath of it of them as adults and how this experience they went through is still affecting them. Um, I, think, I think that's all I really want to say on the plot right now, because it seems like it's going to be one of those mystery puzzle box sort of stories. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of this? What's, what are your thoughts? Um, I really, I really enjoyed it actually. And um, as I said, it's a fit, it was a fitting as another fantasy story. It's a fitting follow up to Conan actually, which I probably should have mentioned before, but yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, um, obviously I'm a big fan of uh, Kieran Gillen. Um, try and read uh, most of the things that he's done, um, and yeah, I think it's it's a strong start um, for me. You know, uh, historically on the podcast, I uh, sometimes complain um, with one of my issues with issue number ones, which is where it doesn't feel like. But the analogy I always put together is that uh, it's kind of like you want episode one to be like hook you in. And sometimes uh, the first issue of a comic isn't episode one. It's like a couple scenes of episode one. So it feels like the hook is I always feel like the hook comes at the end of issue two or issue three sometimes. And it leaves me with n- not much to dig in to issue one by itself. But um, I, f- I felt the complete opposite of this where um I was surprised at how well they dropped the hook at the end and how well they uh, built throughout. And the um, introduction of the characters is really um, uh, economical and um, gets straight to the point, straight to the heart of all these characters with just a few lines and the way how they're um, expressed um, in the art. So, um, yeah, like, I, I think what it does really well... Um, is I think that uh, Stephanie uh, Hans's art has this painterly, uh, like hazy look to it, and it really fits with this fantasy idea and uh, this idea of like a world that you're pulled into, and uh, there's, there's different like plot things in here that I won't go into too much detail in, but. It does involve uh, like uh, memory issues and, and, and time passing, and I, it, like it, I think it handles all of that really well because um, you get like some some panels are um, working on like a palette of like a couple of colors, and then you'll have one striking color in the frame, whether it be someone's hair or whether it be uh, the aforementioned dye or um, uh, or the way just how like um, the characters are framed um, with each other. Um, I, I think it's really effective with that. And um, also um, there's a splash page um, that I think is amazing where each of the panels is really thin mm-hmm. um, and they're like at, um, at sort of different angles. But in that we not only get so much character, um, but we also get um, a lot of sort of hint of where the story's going. Um, and I think that setup is really cool. So, um, yeah, um, 
like that's something like I could talk more about this going into plot, but I think it's just so early that I'm looking forward to reading issue two um, and seeing how it continues. But um, yeah, I, I, I love I love uh, the 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 look of everyone beyond just um, the composition art, but I like the character designs as well, and I, I kind of like how the locations are, are painted because this is this is set in the the Midlands, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, and it does have this. Uh, I mean, you guys probably speak to this more than me, but it, <laughs> it, but it does have this uh, this cool look where um, it, it has this thing where it's not me- uh, metropolitan, but it's not like fully suburban either, um, and it just has this sort of middle plane of uh, like existence and um, time passing, which I think is really cool. Yeah, well, if it is set in like, for example, Leicester, it's definitely set in Leicestershire and not Leicester because they look, uh, they definitely live in like big, rich houses in this comic. Um, but I get what you mean; like, it does have that sort of slightly smaller city vibe to it. Yeah. Um, the thing I wanted to add to what you said was economy of writing. Like, this does that thing that I always talk about, which I really love, where it doesn't burden you with reading too much straight off the bat. Like, I feel like Kieran Gillen is really good at writing for his artists. Like, he's not writing for the purpose of getting the plot out. He's writing in a way that assists the person who's doing the art for him, I feel. And so, like, there's a lot going on here, which, I don't know, it's told through equally through the panel design and through, like, the character alignments and, like, how people look and behave as opposed to just narrating stuff to you. So, like, that splash page you mentioned where it's, like, these tiny slivers cutting back and forth between the characters and who they're talking to and like the colors happening between both is really instructive of who these people are but also informative of like where the story is sort of going and who the uh i guess like who the antagonists are and like what it says about these individual characters and like the focus on the game as well as i don't know the 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 players within it i just i really like it i'm really really keen to see where it goes and like that that painterly, suffused sort of art style you were talking about is kind of soft, dreamy. Everything has this like soft, nostalgic filter, which at first I thought was just um, to do with it being a flashback because it immediately starts off in 1991. I thought that suffused thing would just be in the past, but even when it cuts to the present day, it retains that that style, mm. and I really like it. And I, like you were saying, I like how it transforms between different scenes and there's one in particular where it's sort of uh they've had you know the two characters have had this sort of um difficult meeting years later and they walk out into like a a a rainy outdoor scape and just the way that all the colors smear together and it uh, there's these like highlights of red from either an umbrella or the lighting outside and it all like blends into one i just i adore the art in this um yeah, very, very keen to see where issue number two goes. Yeah, I love, I love the the painted style of the art, and like, I love how they 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 manage to get the colours in that and everything else, and how it's just so. Um, it's it's not a, like everything kind of just like folds or blends. It's not aggressive in the way that it pops off. Like everything's got a, an outline or anything like that. It's just all kind of like fused together some in some places and it just everything all the colors kind of bleed bleed together and bleed into the next but in like an intentional way in an intentional way yeah and it's really it's really nice how they do that and and how they play with light as well 
using mm. these paints like some of the some of the areas where they play with lights using the paint is is really good and I, I what you were saying about the way they introduce the game um as in the way that they introduce each character um, and give them each their individual dice in that that one splash i think i think that's really really cool and and like you were saying it really gives you a sense of who who these players are and and what they're doing and, and it's a good way to introduce the characters gets you used to them and and the uh the the nods to the midland metal scene i quite like that um, really so that, in, what, in what way uh, maybe i, I glossed yeah. over those it'll be well it's like he, he said it, it mentions at the beginning midland metal scene so i'm guessing this is probably set somewhere like staffordshire yeah they call them the stafford yeah. six as well yeah oh okay yeah. right yeah. right and it's um and i think it's yeah. matthew the character um yeah. he's like the the soul black character and um he's meant to be a big metal head yeah and they mention it's in Staffordshire, I think, later on as well. Anyway, okay, yeah, it's um. So you've got that kind of feeling about it, and like it bands from Staffordshire, like metal-wise, like are from that area of like the, the from from the West Midlands and whatever, like Napalm Death and Black Sabbath, and it's the kind of like where that genre of music was almost born. So oh, yeah, okay. it's really cool. so weird for Karen Gillan to uh, incorporate uh, music into. Into a comic book. <laughs> so not known for that, right? <laughs> to be to be less oblique, like we should point out, he did. Um, what was the first music? Because was, was it Phonogram that he that he wrote? I'm not sure it was the first, but he definitely did Phonogram. Yeah. He did Phonogram and The Wicked and the Divine, which are very yeah. very music centric works. Yeah. Yes, and it's just um, I like I like this this whole the way that he's written like the the RPG element in it like the game element and yeah knowing yeah. that kieran gillen used to write for pc gamer he's a big video game fan i yeah i might be pulling this out of my butt but i think he may have helped write a video game as well that I, I i can't i can't verify that but he knows what he's talking about when it comes to games and like game mechanics yeah so i'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of like D rules are developed throughout mm. the course of this comic i want to see like the because i i have faith that there's going to be like a, a logical consistency to it and yeah. like and a knowing sort of a knowing application of how game systems work and then bringing it into this fantasy sort of realistic world i'm i'm keen to see where he goes with that well apparently they're uh play testing or have been play testing a version of this that you can actually play like a, an actual rpg tabletop oh, wow. okay um so I mean, this is I mean, I think that's what I read. But yeah, apparently this is, I, there may be a physical version of this game that they are playing in this comic in the future that we can pick up and play. Oh, that's sweet! If they do cool. a uh, yeah, if they do a box version of this with Stephanie Hans yeah. artwork, I would buy that in an instant. Yeah, it's the, the artwork is so 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 good in this. It's so mm. I love seeing painted painted art in comics anyway. But this is just like it's beautiful. I do love that, like, the design of the cover and some of the sort of incidental patterning that's going on inside yeah. is based on, like, unfolded versions of the different types of dyes you get. So yeah. I think this one is... Oh God, D12s. I don't even know. Yeah, there's D12s. And then like, yeah, and then at the back, the next the next issue is has, like, a pattern in the background for, like, a D6, which yeah. is, I, I think that's pretty cool. So No, that'll be a D12. It'll be a D12. Where the squares, right? No hexagons. Okay, maybe we're looking at different pages, but yeah, I'm looking. Oh, at if you're talking about the cover, that's a D20 roll. Yeah, out, isn't it? covers a D20. Yeah, but then I'm looking at the uh, the title page where it says the party. 
Oh, okay. Now I'm looking at the next month. I mean, yeah. it's incident. We're talking about the same thing, really. I just, yeah. I like that that theme of flattening out the dice, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Moving on from there, uh, this is uh, Leon has caught up, and this is things that I think he wanted to talk about last time, but wasn't able to because we had the Christmas episode and the Spider Verse episode. Yes, uh, American Carnage, which. Uh... You spoke about a couple of episodes ago, um, and this is the DC Vertigo uh, comic uh, written by uh, Brian Hill and art done by Leandro Fernandez, colouring by Dean White and lettering by Pat Brousseau. Um, so, like, just like bouncing off some of the things you brought up uh, before, uh, yeah, I think one. One of the strengths of this book, which is the story of a mixed-raced uh, ex-FBI agent going undercover with um, pre- presumed uh, white nationalist to find to dig in deep into the organization, um, and to because uh, it's something that the the attorney general and the government don't really want to dig into. Um, and it's so it's an off-book mission, and like stri- like th- uh, coming from like last year, off the back of like um, the Incognito prequel, as uh, Greg mentioned, uh, but also off um, the Spike Lee movie from early la- uh, from last year, Black Klansman, uh, with the, the story about uh, the cop in Colorado Springs in the seventies who uh, went undercover. Um, uh, and to infiltrate the um, the Ku Klux Klan, and it, it has a lot of um, uh, sort of mirrors and shades of of, of those stories. But um, what I think is really good about it is that it manages to be really current while not being uh, on the nose at all. Mm. Um, I mean, there's characters that you could immediately uh, pin as like stand-ins or this person is the uh an allusion to this person but i don't think it's that simple um i think that it's using uh the imagery of a number of different uh like uh, demagogic figures together and it isn't just like trump blah 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 and i I think that's to its strength because um what it does it, uh, by not focusing on the specific in that way, it gets to be a, a wider story that isn't just focused on one particular uh, uh, wave of uh, like dangerous nationalism, but instead about um, the 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 phenomena or the movement itself. Um, so I, I think it's really effective um, in, in that way. And as I was saying with uh, like Die Issue One. I think the, this book is quite economic as well. There's a lot of dialogue, but um, I think it's ec- econo- um, economic with its symbolism mm. uh, and it communicates a lot with, with a little. And often it will rely on like a... Uh, there's like a flashback scene which is uh, near wordless and it just communicates um, so much of the character to you. And it's our introduction to a, to a character... And then there's a great sort of flip on that when we find out more about the actual uh, character. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I think it it reminds me a lot of like in its look and some of its style of like um, Vertigo books from uh, sort of the mid or like start of uh, the last decade, stuff like A Hundred Bullets, um, uh, things like that. But I think with this, uh, what I appreciate is that the the writing is quite um, direct um, and it definitely feels like a story written now mm. um, and is, is quite um, resonant with some of the stuff that's happened, not just in the US, but um, happened like politically um, in the last couple of years or more so what's what's um risen to 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 the front uh what's what's uh, got to the top and been been more um apparent even though it's, it's been festering for for decades but um yeah I, I think it's a good a good first issue it communicates a lot um and it it ends in a a, a place that makes you want to read issue two just because it's quite tense and you're like, Oh God, uh, like, I wonder what's going to happen next time. So, uh, issue two is out. I, I wanted to read it before the cast, but I didn't get a chance to, but I'll be reading that fairly soon. Um, because, um, yeah, I'm quite, quite invested in the story. And, um, I think if it walks, uh, this line, um, uh, as deftly as it's been walking it in, in the first issue, uh, will be in store for, um, something that yeah. could be quite um, transcendent and um, quite um, uh, efficient in mm-hmm. um, in telling a story like this. Um, like th- one of the things that I appreciate about this book is uh, its bravery in, in in some in some of the visuals and also in some of the the, the words. And it's like it's not concerned with worrying about being the target of any like comics gate stuff or anything like that hmm. uh it's just straight in like this is the story like th- these these are things that are happening and uh th- this is me digging in and and it's got complications in there as well which is which is what i quite like so uh, this is a, a definite um recommend hmm. for me and i uh, i enjoyed where it left us the final page <laughs> yeah yeah that's 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 the hook for number two so yeah, it's it's a it is it was a great comic, and I think we, yeah, I mean I'm I'm going I'm going back over my notes now from uh, what I talked about last time when I talked about this comic, and you've just pretty much hit every nail I hit anyway. So like, I've got nothing to add to that at all because you you've, I mean you you've you've hit every nail I hit and added some. So yeah, yeah, something like <laughs> if I just add one thing, uh, yeah, it's not really a story thing. One of the things that is quite ingenious about the book is how it displays uh, the characters. You've got the demagogic, like sort of political figure who's yeah. got a book out, and uh, like he's not he's not racist outwardly or whatever. He's just the things that he says are resonant with racists, but he's not racist. Uh, and then he's got a family member who sort of runs his organization, and uh, there's a bit where the sort of agent that I mentioned before who's going undercover where um, they're uh, um, like sort of testing the waters and uh, 
or, or I'd say going uh, like uh, too too full throated yeah. uh, to try and like to be this uh, like re- uh, like racist type character, and then the uh, the I'll say it's a, a daughter who runs the organization. She's like, uh, please don't use those ugly words around me, blah blah. So it's like it's sort of off kilters uh, off kilters him. Mm. Uh, so you have all this big thing, and like um, she can speak like multiple languages and stuff like that, and it's it's all presented to be as like this is a completely uh, just just how a lot of uh, these different political movements and these different organisations, people who are like dog whistling all day um, in public, they will never say the 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 trigger words. They'll never say the words that will become a hashtag against them or anything like that. They they know the rules that well. But then, as soon as you uh, get behind closed doors, uh, things go from zero to damn. That's racist really yeah. fast. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's really effective in uh, in displaying that and sort of the the false um, uh, like the false sanitized uh, version of 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 what's yeah. essentially just the same hate. The the public face. They do a very good job of showing the public face of these people and how how they, they kind of, like, work their way into these positions in society by keeping yeah. that squeaky clean public face, you know. But it gives it gives a more yeah. palatable, um, as you say, face um, to to that ideology. Yeah. Because, um, like, pe- people who are susceptible to being pulled into this type of thing are less likely to do so if um, these people were to go out all guns blazing and, and slurring left, right, and centre because modern society that stuff is just it's not cool and even yeah. if you don't like x brand of person um it's a bit much for someone to be like um for some people it's a bit much to, uh, for people to be coming out um slurring against them like that that's just not accepted in society but if you dog whistle a little bit if you if you um if, if you appeal to, to to the stuff that's not meant to be uh said out loud or in mixed company then that's how you can sort of lure people in. Because if you make it, um, if you make it sound uh, like it's a legit thing, it's like I don't care what what uh, the the color of their skin is or who they pray to. I just don't like how they're getting these benefits, while these other people are not getting these benefits. And if you sell that message that way, that's how you get to pull the people who are in on the yeah. margins, who yeah. feel displaced by their government or society. That's mm. how you lure them in. And I think this comic really uh, shows that effectively. Yeah. And then you dress it up as patriotism as well. Because that, that always helps. <laughs> like, a lot of this stuff gets dressed up as patriotism. And I think they they get that across quite well as well. Like, do you love this country? Well, then maybe you should, you know. And it kind of it kind of makes... You, yeah, it makes sense. And it, it, the way they show that is, yeah, it's perfect, I think. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to read this yet, but uh, I'm intrigued yeah. by something Leon said, where, like, how... So I, I know that the phrase American carnage is something that uh, Trump had said in his inaugural speech, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you're saying it doesn't specifically point to him, it's more of a uh, a more broad look at like this, I think what Leon said was dangerous wave of nationalism. I'm really intrigued by that, that it's not honing in on one specific point. Um, yeah, just wanted to bring that up. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to read this at some point. Yeah, you should. It's great. It's a very good book. Um on from there, it's my next one, which is another Marvel book. And this is Wolverine, The Long Night. 
Uh, it's written by Benjamin Percy. Artist is uh, Marcio Takara and uh, colour artist Matt Miller. We have letters by uh, Joe Caramagna and um, Rafael Albuquerque does some color, uh, does, does the cover for this one. A variant cover by Gabriel Hernandez Walter. Now, this is actually a comic that has come out of... It's a comic adaptation of a Marvel scripted podcast. Um, so there was a like a scripted podcast, kind of like a radio play, um, with of this Wolverine story, and they've now adapted it to comic form. And this is something that aired kind of last um, last autumn, so started in September, uh, finished in November. Um, I never listened to the podcast. I didn't know anything about it until I found this comic because I was like, "Oh, a new Wolverine story that apparently stands upon its own." I'll take that. And uh, lo and behold, it's based on a podcast. And it's really, really good. So we've got some federal agents that are led to the fictional town of Burns in Alaska. And they're working a serial murder case. Logan is the main suspect. Uh, The agents um, will uncover Logan's dual identity and corruption in the small town. Uh, Logan is attempting to escape from society. And over the course of the series, recovers some of his lost memories. He is, however, drawn to execute frontier justice. Located nearby is the Aurora Cult, who may or may not have the power or be involved in the murders. So it's kind of like this mystery, X-Files style mystery, set in this fictional town in Alaska where these bodies are turning up with um, strange, uh, like, like deaths but not conventional looking. Like, a lot of people probably, like, describe it as like, oh, you know, bears did it kind of thing, but then all of a sudden there's kind of signs when you look at it closely maybe that's not a bear <laughs> and uh, it it just has this whole like x-files monster of the week feel about it especially in the way that this first issue goes where we view a lot of it through the eyes of these two fbi agents in burns um and i really like that and it, it is a cool is a cool new wolverine story and it's got that classic wolverine air about it which i really like with the solo wolverine tales where logan's out on his own trying to stay off the radar and figure out who he is or was and living in the wilderness, drifting from town to town, etc. And it's and it's just a it's a good representation of that. So if you like your older Wolverine stories, like uh, things like Weapon X and stuff, then this is probably some something you could go to. There's some good good representation of harsh landscapes in this book, and uh, the artwork is, is um, it's pretty cool. It's kind of painted and um. In place, it places it looks kind of painted, and in places it's it's uh, bold lines, um, but it's still really really nice and does a really good job of um, displaying like uh, some of the um, environments and things like that that they go through because we're in we're in Alaska, we're in this harsh landscape, and there's just some really nice um, really nice kind of representation of that which i really like um and a particular part of the book that i was drawn to was um at the beginning in the way that they introduced the story so the bit that i really liked was um we've got the uh the fbi agents and it's a great device um and we're looking through the eyes of the agents and we're looking at this fisherman and it's in 12 panel format and they're trying to get some information from him they're asking him questions um, and it's just 12 panels on this, this, the first page of this fisherman in conversation 
and his animatedness in conversation and him getting his hip flask out and taking a swig and getting his coffee out and pouring himself a coffee out of his flask and things like that. And as we go through this, um, it kind of introduces where we are and what we're dealing with because he kind of talks about the town he's in as well and, and, you know, how many different ways there are to die in this in this part of the world um, because this first... I think the first chapter is actually called A Thousand Ways to Die in Alaska. So he's kind of like going through all of this, like, oh, you know, you can, this is, you know, that you could get killed by this, you could get killed by this, and, you know, freeze, get hoofed by a moose, fall down a mine shaft, and all this stuff. And he's just going through it over and over again. And um, after that, like, when we dive into his flashbacks, when he's explaining what he's seen that has drawn the FBI agents to this part of the world, we sort of, like, divert back to kind of almost um, more generic comic panelling. And then uh, there's a bit where it intersects again with this, like, kind of, like, a line from this 12-panel page where we're back to this fisherman, like, standing on the spot, looking left and right, taking swigs from his flask and things like that, which is really nice. Um, and I really enjoyed that as a as a device for storytelling and as a device for explaining where we are and what we're dealing with and giving us a sense of that this part of the world basically is really good for that. Um, I, I think I'm going to have to actually go back and listen to the podcast now because <laughs> I enjoyed this comic so much and yeah, it's just it was just just a really cool a really cool Marvel book to pick up for the new year. Yeah, because nice I remember, one. sorry, I, I remember hearing it advertised on other podcasts I was listening to. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's got a decent voice, because I remember it right. It's like, I think Richard Armitage is uh, Wolverine. So I, w- I was tempted to uh, dive in back then. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, Richard Armitage is Wolverine, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm I'm excited to go back and listen to that now. I think I'll have to, because it's really good. Um, I hadn't heard of this, but it sounds fantastic. Yeah. So it's like a radio play and then it's been adapted into a comic and it's awesome. Um, And uh, we've also got like this is one of many Marvel books that have been coming out over the previous the past month or whatever. that has got like a really nice tribute to Stanley in it. Um, So the first two pages of the book, when you open it, are black. You've got like three pages of solid black and then a portrait of Stanley. Uh, and then from there, um, at the back of the book, we've got some more, uh, another black page with a reprint of Stan's soapbox. Um, and it's it's Stan uh, answering a question that he says he get he gets posed quite frequently. Uh, what are you fellas really trying to do in your mags? What message are you pushing? Is the question as he writes it, and about about how the characters and about what marvel's kind of philosophy is and what marvel are trying to do and it's a really it's a really nice column and uh i recommend you check that out um and it's a really nice tribute to stanley and there's a few few marvel books over the past month that have been doing things like that and i really like it these tributes to stanley in the back and, and back in front of these books um and yeah this is a really good opener and now i'm gonna have to go back and listen to the podcast because it's great because it's it's two of my favorite things it's wolverine and x-files so <laughs> i mean it's not actually x-files but it it could be it could easily be an episode of x-files from that first issue i really enjoyed it on from there i think it's back to you isn't it ray sorry i'm here i was i was distracted because <laughs> i was signing up to this wolverine podcast, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, i was just thinking before before i move on to that because i i don't think there's 
This is the only other comic book related like spoken word podcast that I know of, aside from the Lock and Key audiobook. Um, which, you know, which was spoken word yeah. and like voiced by all these different actors. Yeah. And, like very briefly, if you have any off the top of your head, do you know any more like this? No. <laughs> no yeah, it's weird because I can't seem to think of any or like. I know. Any, but I know they must exist, and I know there must be many, but I can't say that it's an avenue I've ever been down before. Like, yeah, it's really interesting. And and this was this is my this this Wolverine book is kind of my introduction to all of that because through this I've discovered wait, it's an audio play. I guess I can I call it because they call it a podcast, but I can call it an audio play, right? Because that's essentially what it is. Yeah, I think that's. Fine. I mean, there have been others done by Marvel. It's not the first time Marvel have done things, and I think they plan to do a kind of interconnected, um, like, um, thing with their podcasts. Um, I, I read somewhere that they want to kind of turn it into a. Um, like an MPU Marvel podcast. Yeah, universe. yeah, I th- yeah, something like that. This is something that I read somewhere. I'm okay. not sure how how reliable that is, but this is some this is something that I've I've kind of like took in at some point and come across while I've been doing research for this show. Um, I've also found that um, there are it's not yeah they have also done some other audio formats. They've done um, a Fantastic Four radio series before in 1974 which you can okay. go back and check out. <laughs> and uh, there's also Spider-Man Rock Reflections of a Superhero concept album. And obviously we know of the new Spider-Man album, which is the Spider-Man Christmas album, which came out of Enter the Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah, I do love this sort of like cross-media stuff, especially yeah. when it's it's focused on the comics as opposed to the... like. Yeah. You know how like you, you have movies and everything? I like that it's yeah. comics first and then it's the ancillary yeah. stuff. So like like um what was it? Prism Stalker that has really cool like motion yeah. graphic uh, videos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna see if I can find more of these kind of things for mm. the next episode we record because that's interesting. What I like about this is it's gone the other way around for me. So rather than watching the movie or listening to the audio play and then reading the comic, I've been suckered in by the comic and now I'm gonna go to the other bit. <laughs> okay. So yeah, because usually I think it works the other way around with people. Like a lot of the time, I mean, especially in my life, um, my introduction to comics has been via cartoons when I was a kid. Right, yeah. So like I've gotten into comics off the back of watching cartoons involving those characters like X-Men and Batman. But this is kind of like backwards. (laughs) Yeah, I think if it gets people to like try something that is a little bit left of field then yes yeah. it's, it's all good it's like it's it. good it's good and um i'm gonna have to give that a listen definitely i will i will talk about it on the cast actually and tell you how it is so yeah um yeah ray yeah so you. i was what i was actually <laughs> gonna talk about next was so i i picked up a comic called deathbed because uh, i found it on a list of like best comics of 2018 it's a dc comic i haven't actually finished it i'm only uh, i've picked up the trade paperback I'm only one or two of the six issues in for that volume, but I just wanted to give it a shout out. Uh, so it's called Deathbed by Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosmo, mm-hmm. colours by Ivan Placencia and lettering by Darren Bennett. It's a story about a ghostwriter called Valentine who takes on an autobiography job about a dying adventurer, Antonio, and she goes to like this his incredibly gothic horror castle to interview him on his deathbed. Um, and it turns out things aren't quite what they seem. And Greg, this is a very Greg book. Like it's super, super violent, super like, I don't know, uh, it, f- it feels like a-, a Castlevania story set in like a noir adventure. 
Um, I really think you'd dig it. I think you'd dig the art style. I think you'd dig like just how grim and violent and monstrous everything is. Um, I'm not going to... I think I can't really give a full opinion until I've finished the trade, but really feels like something you'd pick up. And just Google it, Deathbed. Um, The colors are really vibrant. It's uh, vibrant, but also quite... Yeah. Like dark and gothic at the same time it has this really interesting mix of styles um yeah check it out yeah Um, and then the the actual comic that i've been reading uh is called dodge city which is a very different kettle of fish this is a boombox comic um i read uh issues one to four collected as trade number one it's created and written by josh uh truillo or truillo um Illustrations by Cara McGee, colours by Brittany Peer, and lettering by Aubrey Acer. So Dodge City is a sports manga, basically, in comic book form. And it's really cool. I really love it. It's it basically, it feels like a, a colourised version of Scott Pilgrim, but all based around the sport of dodgeball. Um, it's very cool, very, like, kiddish, but also, like, dealing with teenage upwards relationships and stuff. It's very, very much my kind of thing. Um, so it's about this guy called Toma, who's a uh, a new guy to who's brought into this this dodgeball team called uh, the Jazz Pandas. Doesn't know any of the rules, um, and he's brought into this team that has no idea how to coordinate. And he basically finds himself um, by the end of the first issue being the captain of this team, and he's the beginnings of like a new form of synergy in this um, in this team that doesn't really know how to operate together. Uh, it's um like it's really frenetic there's lots of really nice like background moments there's mostly realistic action but there's moments where like two balls are clashing in midair and the people sitting on the bench sort of get their hair blown back but in a quite frank way without any motion lines or effects or anything it feels very scott pilgrimy that way where it's all like hyper hyperized in the moment but then sort of incidental in the background um i love all the characters there's like a deaf character called huck and the way that his his point of view is portrayed like with him center frame and with all these other characters arguing around him but like framed by just their mouths um, with like a gauze filter over them, like really selling his isolation. And then the way that like Thomas pays attention to his isolation and communicates to him directly through sign language that he's been studying because he's just that sort of adorable captain, sort of um, unconfident leader type. And then, you know, it also serves to ramp up the drama because he gives his plan through his cell phone screen, in which we don't get to see into this acted out like during the game. And then, I don't know, I, you can tell I sound really excited about it because I don't really know where I'm going. But like... Just the just the energy that you you get from it, and like how much these these people sort of strive to get along and then coordinate with each other to to like win these these dodgeball games. I just love it. Like I haven't read a sports manga in so long. The last one I tried was Slam Dunk because I've recently been like watching basketball, but that didn't really hook me. But there's something about just how stupid dodgeball is <laughs> as, as as a sport, which makes this feel so much more fun, um, and the fact that it's taking all these like very Japanese tropey tropes, <laughs> Japanese-esque sort of tropes and transporting them into sort of like a Western setting yeah. where it feels a bit more like normalized to me. Like it, yeah. it really works really well. And plus it's all colorized and it has this, this progressive Western, you know, idealism to it. Um, yeah. I just, I really dig it. I really dig the artwork. It's got like really dynamic framing with really big, nice chunky guttering with dodgeballs flying through all the panels um, and then occasionally we get a collage of like scattered action, not really knowing 
what's happening in any linear order, but sort of deftly describing the chaos of the game. Um, that's really like sold really well. And then if this is your kind of thing, also hearkening back to like its manga roots in some ways, it goes like super Bishonen as well too. Which you know, if that's your thing, then that that really has it. Bishonen being like like boy on boy, yeah. like romance. If you don't know what that means, um, it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say it does sound like a, um, a a love letter to sports anime and sports manga. Like, yeah, it totally yeah. is. Yeah, and like the, the other little things um, with it being quite progressive in that it's um, Tomai is uh, a Spanish character, so there's lots of little bits where he's talking to a, uh, a Spanish um, girl on the opposing team, and like there's uh, there's whole like pages that are in untranslated Spanish, which you know I, I tend to quite like because I think I'd find it frustrating if it was in a movie, but the uh, the intentions behind the words weren't broadcast if you didn't have subtitles. But in this, because it's a book and I can set it aside and maybe like pick through the words on my own and have some, give it an attempt to try and figure out what they're saying with just my limited understanding of Spanish or other, you know, like romantic languages. And then I can go to Google Translate and like pick it apart and then get a new understanding of what these two characters are communicating to each other. I, I kind of dig that when there's untranslated with intention sort of moments and i think there were there was another comic we talked about was it border border City town border, border town. town yeah yeah uh, not had, border had town sorry like... not border town um it was the brian k vorm one wasn't it oh yeah barrier yeah 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 i had like it's it, i feel like it's intentional it knows what it's doing in that sort of yeah. way which i really liked wasn't also border like town. that's yeah i also like that um she tries to call him thomas at first even though they've just been speaking to each other in spanish and he's like "Uh, actually it's Thomas." like just little moments like that where it's knowing about what it is to to like live that life and be in those shoes i thought is quite sweet Mm -hmm. um then for me just the colors i love that the colors are really vibrant kind of cartoonish kind of kiddish but you know uh like hyper vibrant and energized and yeah it's just very much my thing it's very like calming in that there's not a lot of uh there's it's not too wordy a lot of it's very actiony again harkening back to that manga style yeah i really like it if you want something easy and not necessarily light in terms of its content but light in terms of how to absorb it because you don't have to for me anyway it takes a bit of mental energy to like sift through heavy wording while also reading through like the comic panel structure if you want something that's easy to absorb I'd recommend this. That's uh, Dodge City. Yeah, sounds cool. Um, that brings us to the end of the list. So this is my kind of honourable mentions, like a couple of things that I wanted to bring up, just uh, wanted to talk about a couple of comics. Um, first one on there is what's currently happening with Detective Comics because the latest arc is a doozy and someone has recreated the murder of the Waynes down to every last detail and someone appears to be going after everyone involved with Bruce Wayne after that murder and doing it in specific ways that relate to the night of the murder and this whole mystery tied around the murder of his parents as they ramp up to like the thousandth issue of Detective Comics Um, and as a Batman fan I'm absolutely loving this and I'm very excited for issue a thousand because this started in 994 so like six issues the like six month ramp up to issue a thousand so six issues away so we're on number 995 now 
So in five months' time, we get issue a thousand of Detective Comics, which is going to be really nice. I'm really excited. A thousand issues is bonkers to me. Yeah, there was a thousand issues of Action Comics last year. Damn. Yeah. So Detective Comics being the the DC kind of like figurehead book kind of thing, and um, where Batman Batman was born in Detective Comics in the pages of Detective Comics. So it's a big one, and I'm excited. And I'm going to be following that. Um, the other one I wanted to bring up is that the 650th issue of Fantastic Four, which was in the new Fantastic Four numbering, it's issue five. And that is the uh, marriage of Alicia Masters and Ben Grimm. And I'm glad I got an invite. <laughs> it's the, the book's great. It's uh, several connected stories around the wedding that all kind of fold into one. And each one's by a different creative team. <coughs> And my favourite, which I just want to mention briefly, was by Mike and Laura Allred, and it's called Change Partners. And it's Ben learning to dance for his wedding, and Sue's the teacher. Um, And, uh, you know, we get this whole kind of like the past, uh, kind of like the build-up to to what's happening now, like the the past between Ben and Sue, and how everything happened uh, when they were exposed to the cosmic rays, and how Sue feels responsible for what happened because of what she said to Ben and things like that and and she teaches as she teaches him to dance they remember their origins and everything else and they remember how Alicia and Ben met and how Sue kind of like sort of gave them a gentle push in that direction and kind of got uh, orchestrated the whole thing and got Alicia and Ben together and it's just really touching and really sweet and really nice and I don't want to spoil it but it is awesome, and it kind of brought a tear to my eye. And the whole thing, the whole comic together, the whole thing all together, it's a really touching comic, um, and it was preceded by uh, the wedding special, which was really cool, actually. There was the Fantastic Four wedding special, uh, which came out, I think, around Christmas, just before Christmas. Um, And that was like a collection of stories, again, by different different artists artists and different... uh, different creative teams which was really nice but this is yeah this was something else when i read this this bit here this mike and laura are a bit special and uh the whole book ends and there's a really really nice message at the end and it says for stan and joan and for jack and Roz, excelsior for stan and joan for jack and Roz." and that killed me when i saw that that was the end of me i had to put the book down so i didn't ruin it with my tears <laughs> Oh, bless. <laughs> but yeah, it was really cool. I really liked it. And yeah, the, the Stanley tributes in this one as well. And it's just, just such a nice a nice piece of comics history, I guess. Um and it's it's a you know, like it's such a nice thing. Like it's a happy it was a happy issue. It's about a wedding. It's great. So yeah. That was Fantastic Four six fifty or Fantastic Four number five if we're going on the new numbering. And I just wanted to mention that because of that 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 one tribute at the end that slayed me, Excelsior for Stan and Joan for Jack and Roz, that's it that killed it for me. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. So, um, pull this time. Think it is. Uh, I'll open. So these are things that are going to come out on the ninth of January, which will be the date that this podcast is available for your ears. And uh, the first thing that I wanted to mention is um, something called Gunning for Hits, which is a new comic 
published on Image. And um, this is set in the shady New York City music scene of the mid-80s. This is me reading the blurb. Gunning for Hits stars Martin Mills, a record company talent scout with an inscrutable past. Follow Martin as he attempts to sign a rock band that will conquer the world in this music business crime thriller. Written by music producer Jeff Rugby, uh, David Bowie and Big Star, with art by uh, Moritat, the spirit Harley Quinn and Hellblazer. Plus, each issue will include a background feature and a Spotify playlist. So I was kind of interested to get some more of that and see what that's about. And the uh, the cover that I can see is black with um, a guy on the front uh, holding a microphone. Looks like he's on stage. Um, and he is, he's just in pink, in bright magenta. Um, and there is uh, Gunning for Hits music, th- uh, Gunning for Hits music thriller, the, uh, the, the title for this comic in the corner. And it's the old compact disc font. You know when it says compact disc, and it's kind of like that. How do I describe it? The typography that they use for the compact, uh, you know, the yeah. compact disc logo. You know what I mean? All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's that. So I'm excited to check this out and see what this is about. Um, other ones on there, I've got um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder in Hell, number one. So <laughs> this is a big one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw this and I thought of you. <laughs> yeah. So Sh- Shredder is going to hell. Abandon all hope. The Shredder returns in this brand new miniseries. Arokusaki's death is just the beginning and his journey through the depths of the underworld proves to be anything but a divine comedy. How much of Shredder's soul will remain after he has faced the horrors of hell? So there we go. Uh, and it's uh, fan favourite artist Matteo Santoluco returning to the world of TMNT as both writer and artist. So I am very interested in this because I love the Turtles comics and I love the ones that Santoluco's done and... Um, specifically Shredder is a great character in the current Turtles verse, the IDW stuff. Um, and um, this will be what has happened to Shredder since his death in the main story. So Splinter cut his head off one time and now we're going to get to see where his soul went. I'm quite interested in that. We've also got uh, Outer Darkness number three, which we've talked about Outer Darkness on this cast previously. It's brilliant. Please read it. It's great. Um, Ray, where we, where are we with you for the ninth? So we've got uh, Die issue number two coming out. The, mm-hmm. So the, the second part to the comic we talked about at the top. Um, Captain Marvel number one, which is a new run by Kelly Thompson and artist Carmen Carnero, colorist Tamara Bonvillain. Um, I don't really know much about this. I just want to see more Captain Marvel. And I think Kelly Thompson has written for Ms. Marvel in the past, if I'm not mistaken. At least one or two of the issues. That's yeah. where I recognize her name from. Um, and then moving on from that, we've got By Night number seven, uh, which I haven't been catching up with. This is one I spoke about previously on the cast by writer John Allison, who I uh, adore from Giant Days. Uh, he writes Giant Days. So I need to catch up on this. And number seven will be another uh, like a good jumping on point for me to catch up. And then the trade paperback for Lucy Dreaming will be out, which is another issue that I spoke of uh, in the past. I think I talked about issues number one and two. Again, I only read those two, but I want to catch up. So trade paperback, that's a good opportunity for me. Yeah, and that brings us into the 16th of January, where um, 
I have on my list Fantastic Four number six, which will follow directly on from the wedding I just talked about, the beautiful wedding that I got a really good, that I got an invite to, and I'm really glad. Uh, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number ninety, Conan the Barbarian number two, uh, which will be the second comic following on from the Conan comic that I spouted about earlier this episode. And uh, we've also got something called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles IDW twenty twenty, which IDW are doing because it has been. 20 years so they're doing this um series of stories to celebrate 20 years of idw um and uh this one is meet the turtles of tomorrow in this adventure set 20 years into the future the utron civil war rages across earth when news of a backup technodrome threatens hundreds of millions of innocent lives it's up to the turtles to do what they do best and save the world i think i might have had this on a pool list on a previous episode but it's happening this week and uh, next week even so i'm excited about that and uh, there's also Ghostbusters IDW 2020 as well, which is again set 20 years into the future. It's a new generation of Ghostbusters and uh, they're sent on all the jobs that Ray, Winston, Peter and Egon just don't feel like taking on themselves. <laughs> so we've also got an appearance of the Ghostbusters from the Sanctum of Slime stuff. Yeah, we've got some Ghostbusters crossing over from many other dimensions from the recent crossover event that they did, which I've been reading. So, yeah. It's looking pretty cool, and I'm liking these IDW celebrations. I'm into this. So, yeah, definitely. Ray, where are we with you for the 16th? For the 16th, I've got down Isola number six, which is one that I picked up on your behalf. Yes. Um, (laughs) And that should be the start of the next trade, because I think the trade already came out for issues number one to five. Yes. Um, There is a note against this saying that it's now bi-monthly, which I thought meant, uh, you know, twice a month, but it's actually every two months. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, so issue number six is out on January the 16th, and then number seven will be out in March the 13th, which is... Disappointing, but if that's what they need, then so be it. Well, I'm not surprised because um, of the production value of this comic, like the amount of work that goes into it and everything else. I mean, it's it's it looks like it's a it look it doesn't look like it's an easy comic to make. It looks like an expensive ass comic, and it's like, an expensive ass so comic quality. to make. Yeah, and it's it's such quality and everything else. I don't mind waiting two months between issues. Oh yeah, I'm not. It's not a problem. I just yeah. I, I was I. It was my own fault that I was like, oh my god, two a month, and then it's like no one every two months. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And then I've got Life is Strange number three, because I think that's going to be three of four total, Mm. I believe. But, you know, I'm invested in that story. I want to see where it goes. I also noticed in the comic book shop on Wednesday that they had to do a second print of issue number one. And it basically undoes the thing that I love about the cover for the first print, where you've got Max and Chloe staring out into a sunset. And if you flip the cover upside down, um, it's Max on her own staring into a uh, tornado. And for the reprint, they've drawn Chloe back into it. So it's like she's in the reflected puddle slash tornado. Oh. And yeah, it's a bit. It takes away the thing that I like. I really admired about the original cover, but so be it. That's what you get for missing out on buying it the first time around. Yeah. Mm. And Leon. anyway, number three, <laughs> Leon. Anything on your list? No, for me, it's a lot of uh, catch-up and a couple of uh, issue twos. So um, I think I'm going to jump on that uh, Lucy Dreaming trade that um, Rahul mentioned uh, on the 9th because um, this is one that I wanted to jump on at the time, didn't get around to it, so I thought I'd wait for the trade and lo and behold, here is the trade. You don't want to see Shredder's journey through hell? 
<laughs> Might be on your own there, Chris. <laughs> I'd rather hear you uh, recount the tale of Sh- uh, Shredder's journey through hell, which I prob- which I definitely will be. Yeah, <laughs> Leon always with the diplomacy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one one shout out I want to make. Um, there's been two issues of the new Firefly comic that um that have come out, written by Greg Pak. Haven't had a chance to read those, but I'm gonna try and catch up on them for the next one. Firefly. Since we're talking about stuff that only one of us out of the three of us will be yeah. willing to read. Just briefly, this Firefly comic, does it does it is it a continuation of Firefly? I believe it's let me have a look at the cover, hang on. No, I think it's a prequel or a oh. sidequel or something oh. because spoilers for like an ancient film, but Wash is on the cover, so you know, it must be some sort of a pre prequel. Yeah. So people still aren't getting what they want. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I they, they did. They did some sequels. Um, yeah, you know, like with the the book chapter and so. I haven't read all of them to date, but like, there's some stuff that continues on from where it left yeah. off. Yeah, Firefly. <laughs> um. So that brings us to a close. That has been Ace Comicals episode number fifty three. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find me on Twitter at Bato. That's B A T T O U. Um. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com which is kind of the hub for everything so if you go to the website you'll be able to find links to all of our social media and everything else you can find us under ace comicals on instagram um and you can find us to listen to us on apple podcasts overcast pocket cast spotify stitcher TuneIn, and castro um we're available pretty much everywhere um you can field questions to, like like I mentioned earlier on at the beginning of the episode, you can field your silly scenarios, your silly questions, your, um, you know, anything anything fun like that, Any anything you want us to read, anything, any content that you want us to bring up on the show, you can tell us about it at uh, acecomicals at gmail.com or you can get involved on Twitter and send us a DM that way or even at us on Twitter and say, could you, you know, can you take a look at this for us and review this for us kind of thing and we will, we will happily look into that for you. Um, you can also get in touch with me on Twitter under at Bato and do the same things. Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter um, at Leon Everett. That has been Ace Comicals number 53. So Ace Comicals over and out.